It's the Paul Patterson and Tom Scallon podcast show. They're talking the walk and not about sloppy, sloppy Joes. So, talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk show. Welcome back to Talking the Walk. Uh, this is podcast episode number three, and this one we have named Roxette as we are going to talk about success. Go ahead, look that song up uh, if you want to. Dressed for success. Um, we, had, we had a little bit of a debate between uh, Roxette and Michael J. Fox, who, who was a secret to my success. If you want to check that movie out, you can. Um, so welcome back. Um, I'm Paul Patterson. And I'm Tom Scallon. By the way, we were working on our, uh, our intro a little bit there, um, trying to make sure that we were a little bit better with that. Um, so a couple of, couple of updates. Number one, um, we still do not have an Instagram, uh, a Twitter, or a Facebook account for Talking the Walk. Um, we, we, after last week and hearing from all the people that we heard from and all the suggestions and everything, uh, really have, have uh, decided that we need a program director. Um, so that position is available. It, it is, it's, uh, there's no contract and uh, there's no pay. So if, if you, you know, have any desire to, uh, to help us with that, that would be great. Uh, apparently, um, if you rate us five stars or, you know, whatever, whatever you think we deserve uh, on whatever podcast uh, listening device you're listening to us on, um, it, it helps. I didn't really understand that, you know, when people are pushing for five stars, but apparently that does make a difference. And then um, if anybody wants to be a sponsor, uh, we'll take that. And, and really the number one thing that we would use the sponsorship money for would be buying a uh, subscription to Zoom so that we can have more than two people on here uh, for longer than 40 minutes. So that would really what the, uh, the sponsorship money would go for. Sounds good. I, uh... I worked really hard on my intro to be more um, upbeat. So I hope that uh, my name's Tom Scallon really came across as fun loving and upbeat. It, it, I thought it was reflected in the, uh, in the inflection in your voice. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Um, you know. So as, as we also talked about before we got started, uh, I, I feel like the beginning of, of every podcast has kind of turned into a, a reality TV um, confessional for me. I, I feel like I'm sitting in the room with the cameras on me and, and I'm confessing my my uh, faults to the world, um, even so, though it seems like I'm only talking to one person. So this is Talking the Walk podcast confessional by Paul Patterson. There we go. go. I like that. We're going to have to make sure we remember that. And this is one of the many things that, that uh, over the years we've talked about. Hey, 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 did you write that down? We got to make sure we remember that. So here we are. Um, last week, I promised that I was going to edit um, episode number two. I was going to go through. I, was, I thought I was a big shot. Uh, Lee Nelson took me through how to uh, how to edit. And uh, so my confession is, I listened to the podcast before I uploaded it, but I have no idea how to edit it. So we are we're we're uh, we're hoping for another good good episode without any any hiccups, um, interruptions, or uh, um, internet failures like we've had the first two times. It's kind of what we're hoping for. Um, the second piece of, of my time in the confessional is um, I'm disappointed that we had a conversation last week about 
Norwalk baseball, and we did not talk about our epic trip to uh, the sub-state final in 2004 in which Norwalk was playing Centerville and Centerville at the Indian Hills uh, Community College baseball complex. And we decided that we were going to make a trip and a, and a stop in a place called Williamson. Um, it's the Williamson Tavern. Go ahead and look it up, you know, if you, if you so choose. Uh, and the reason why we stopped there is it's the home of the Papa Burger. It is a one pound hamburger. And um, so part of the reason why we stopped was we wanted to, uh, we, Mike Collins, former athletic director at uh, Norwalk, used to always take the cheerleaders to uh, Williamson's Tavern uh, when, whenever we played Sheridan in football. And so that it became a little bit of a, um, a tradition. And so we wanted to take part in this because we wanted to see what the heck this hamburger was about. Well, we show up, um, mind you, it looks like a two-story house uh, when you pull up to Williamson. And I don't remember how many of us were there. There were at least five of us because it was, it was me, you, Jake, Christy, and I'm not sure um, who else was along. I don't think Mel King. Um, not 100% sure on that. I don't but, think it was Mel. I don't think it was. I don't think it was Tommy either. It might have been. Yeah. So, so we it, pull uh, up, park, and we walk through the front door of what we think is a tavern, which really turns out to be a house. And as we walk through the door, the twelve people, or however many people that were sitting in there, now have locked onto us like we are some sort of foreign object um, that is coming onto their radar screen and they will not stop staring at us. The, um, I don't know what the, the larger lady that is uh, in charge of the tavern is standing in the back, which looks like a kitchen that has a couch in it, um, is where she's making stuff. And the guy behind the bar is, uh, you know, probably married to her, I would guess. So we sit down, we decide we're ordering a Papa Burger. Um, and let's just say from that point forward, I made a spectacle of myself with how much I ate. Um, <laughs> because not only did I finish the Papa Burger, which is humongous if you ever get a chance to go down there. Um, but I also finished Jake's Burger, um, who was about four years old at the time. And he didn't finish it, so I, I ate his burger too. Um, we also, by the way, side note, we also have a baseball game that we're supposed to be at. Um, service was not the best. Um, took us a little while to, uh, to get out of there. So a couple notches um, larger uh, in the waistband I am as we walk out. And we arrive at the baseball game um, somewhere in between the third and fourth inning. So we weren't even on time. Um, and we really didn't have a good story. You know, it's not like the cops pulled us over or we got lost or anything. We flat out, well, I wanted to eat, and I wanted to have a Papa Bird. It seems over, over the years, um, we once went with a whole bunch of teachers to an Iowa City football game and ended up at the Sundown Lounge, and that was an experience <laughs> infamous. playing school. Infamous. Yes, infamous. <laughs> we went to the Williamson Tavern, and I don't know if that was infamous, but it was, I don't know if they expected five people with a bunch of Norwalk gear to walk in and eat at that restaurant. Um, and then we've also uh, stopped by 
before a couple football clinics that you're speaking at. We stopped by the Melrose, is it pub? Yes. Yeah. And we, we've seen great amounts of fried chicken being made homemade right in front <laughs> of us. So it, we do pick some interesting uh, places to visit on our trips. The, the unfortunate thing is, is that, um, you know, the, the, the amount of weight I've gained in quarantine is just further proving that, unfortunately for me, uh, too much of my trips or too many of my trips have been centered around feeding me. Um, and, and that is the unfortunate thing. Yeah, well, I think most trips you end up eating out. So you'll just have to forgive yourself and let go of that and move forward. Trying, I'm trying. Um, side note also, another side note, uh, Norwalk won that um, sub-state final. Uh, and I do believe they won 10 to nothing and, and made a state tournament appearance there in 2004. So Williamson well, that's Tavern. The, that's the end of your end of your confessional. Yeah, yeah. Time to move on. Um, so now what we've got is we've got some feedback. Um, we, we had a, uh, a ton of um, responses this week as far as people helping us with things that we should work on. And, and um, again, another interesting thing, not very many people who are newer to Norwalk have any idea what we're talking about when we say caboose. And that Seriously? just fascinates me. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, and I think so it's, I in guess, the, it's in one of the brochures that they hand out about, about Norwalk. And, you know, you, you think back to back in the day when we first started at Norwalk, the caboose was a fairly big hangout for, you know, smoking cigarettes and writing stuff on the walls and all of that at the city park. Well, I'm no Norwalk historian, but Norwalk was a light rail railroad town. And so the caboose is part of that that used to come through, you know, when everything got shipped. If you go up to, what is it? Is it Stepping Stones on the corner there uh, with the bank and yeah. the one? They've painted a mural of that light rail of the time when we were a light rail town. So that's where the caboose comes from. I don't know all its history, but it seems like uh, maybe over the evolution of the hundred and whatever it is, 50 years, we've gotten away from the, the railroad. And now we're water towers, golf courses, and lots and lots of kids. The uh, Angela Davidson, uh, art teacher at the high school, is the one that was responsible for paying that. Her and several of the kids did that. Uh, yeah. What was that, two summers ago? Did that. Uh, so... <laughs> There were not very many people that when you say, uh, what do you think of when you think of Norwalk that, that didn't answer school? Um, that was really the number one answer, you know, and, and uh, um, Lee Nelson's was probably the best. You know, he went Rudy's and he thinks of Brandon Schmitz um, when, when you think of, of Norwalk. And of course, <laughs> for me, um, you know, Rudy's, you know, was John's. And I mean, you think about all the different names, but that's also side note, good burger. If you, uh, if you're in the mood for that, um, Brian Wallace, who is a, a parent of, of a, uh, going to be senior, uh, sent us a, a message on Twitter and just said that, you know, this was, this was a podcast that was needed. Um, former grad, Tommy Minert heard from him, um, several good suggestions and, and thoughts from him, Tim Clay, uh, current social studies teacher in the Norwalk system, Eric Neeson, who is the uh, director of student services, uh, heard from him, Jake Brown, who, by the way, again, uh, is the creator of our, uh, our intro, our, our podcast intro, um, Peter Sand, who is our athletic trainer, uh, Norwalk grad, 
Um, he said anytime he hears Norwalk, he can't think of uh, Norwalk or hear Norwalk without thinking Warriors afterwards, which I thought was, was pretty appropriate. Uh, Jeff Gravy, middle school uh, physical education teacher, is uh, uh, recovering from knee surgery, so hopefully that's going well. And, and we heard from him. Uh, Brandon Bear, who is a uh, up-and-coming music or movie producer, and I think he's got one out. I am Brandon Bear, I do believe, is, uh, if you want to check that out. Um, but he's a Norwalk grad, and then, of course, heard from Brandon Schmitz. Um, and but out of all those people that we heard from, and I, we love hearing from you, and of course, you know, you probably love hearing your name um, on the podcast whenever you, you, you uh, send us something. Uh, but my favorite was Mark Parrington, uh, who happens to be brother-in-law to uh, our co-host here, Tom Scallon, um, and, a, and a fishing buddy of ours. And his, his text messages uh, back and forth were, were really, really fun, like laugh out loud funny. Um, from, uh, I think that would, that would have to be a different uh, podcast to discuss all so. the events. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we had 47 listeners um, for our, our second podcast and 29 listeners um, for, the, for the first one. And so just a, a, a big thank you to you um, that you're listening. And, and hopefully, you know, you came back for this one and, and uh, we're ready to, to move in. So um, you got anything else before we get started with high school sports? Nope. I think uh, Brandon Bear put something out on Twitter about having a link to a movie that he's produced or a short. Yep. Short film. Saw that out there. And uh, just good to hear all the names following us and giving us ideas to move us forward. Yeah, I, that, that is probably, and that's part of the reason why we need that program director is we've got so many ideas that, that uh, we're going to have to figure out a way to start incorporating some of those. Well, it sounds like we need a couple jobs if you can't edit. We need a program director. We need a production <laughs> assistant. <laughs> that, that probably, the, the editing probably would be the biggest help, um, trying to get that done immediately. Um, get that done right now. So high school sports, what's our update? Well, right now, again, you know, as we talked last week that, uh, you know, June 1st, baseball and softball are starting back. Uh, looks like June 15th is going to be the, uh, the time in which they can start playing games. And it looks like they pushed back the start of the uh, softball state tournament to be the same week as um, baseball. I, I still have not heard confirmation um, softball, I don't think that they have any issues whatsoever where they have it. Um, uh, Rogers Sports Complex there in Fort Dodge. But um, uh, early on, and this was a couple weeks ago, the rumblings were that the I-Cubs were not willing to give up all that time um, because of their shortened season with uh, state baseball. And so state baseball was going to have to move. Have not heard confirmation that that is, in fact, going to happen. However, um, rumor, rumor floating around was that uh, Southeast Polk and Johnston were going to be two places around the metro that uh, were going to help host um, state baseball. So we'll see what they, what they finally decide and, and when that's going to come out as to where state baseball is going to take place. But um, at, at least it's scheduled. They just, I don't think, know exactly where it's going to happen. Uh, so June 15th, um, games can start, you know, and then uh, things to remember right now is that all other workouts, so any other sport that's out of season, which is everything but baseball and softball, uh, cannot start anything until July 1. Um, and we don't know what July 1 is gonna look like. I think one of the things that, um, you know, if, if you go and you look at what the governor sent out, what the Athletic and Girls Union, Athletic Association and the Girls Union has sent out different than what NFHS has said. 
as far as getting back into the swing of things. Um, similar, but not, but not the same. And, and then, you know, you take a look at the fact that facilities are still closed, uh, except for baseball and softball complexes. Baseball and softball teams cannot go into the, into the school and work out. Um, those are still closed. The only way that you can have an outdoor facility um, open like a track is, is, is if it's open to the public. Um, and so th there will be some interesting things coming out. And here in the next week, uh, the Boys Association for sure is going to send out some um, FAQs and uh, do's and don'ts, I think, for the month of June for those of us that are out of season. Um, and, and maybe even some more guidance with, with what's going on in season and talking about that. So there's, a, there's not much going on, but there's a lot of talk um, around high school sports right now based on what's happening there. And, and I think I read somewhere that we were the last um, state that had a, had a state competition, with, which would have been 4A basketball, and now we are the first state having um, high school sports again. So kind of a, an interesting little uh, timeline there for, uh, for Iowa. Yeah, I certainly think so. I mean, we still continue to have cases and of course, and as you test more, you'll get that. And unfortunately we still have some deaths and things like that. I've said all along that schools can probably move forward um, because most of our, well, almost all of our population will be just asymptomatic. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this progresses. Um, as far as state tournament, there's a number of facilities that uh, baseball and softball could, they could hold their state tournament at just around in the Metro. Um, like you said, softball has a pretty dedicated spot for it. So I don't think that's a problem. The only issue there is if you have to, you know, drive from one side of town to the other side of town, if you wanted to try and catch games. Uh, there was one year that state soccer had so much rain, they were deciding whether or not to Put it into all the different stadiums that we have and that could have easily been done so uh, i don't think the i understand where the icubs are coming from they've got to put in as many games as possible um and i'm sure that's how they make their money and and, and and if i'm not mistaken they're gone they're they're away from principal park two weeks right for state baseball they're, they're on a yeah. trip or whatever so that, that's a significant hunk of time when you haven't been able to do anything yet well, and you and I, I, I know they'd say they're, and they have been pretty flexible, but they don't like losing that date at the end of the year, you know, especially if they're in the playoff hunt or if they want a high seed, you know, going on the road to play someone difficult because their conference is difficult. Uh, so you're at the whim of, of colleges or in this case, uh, Principal Park. But I, you know, there's, like I said, there's a number of stadiums where you could, um, you could hold it. And then, then your question will be, how many people are allowed in? Is this just gonna be like state basketball, where it's just your parents? You know, do you get four people? Um, I kind of dislike the, the guidance from, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, NFHS, which was saying the media should get to come in before the public. Yes, I don't, they, were, they were a tier two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the media, maybe there should be a couple media allowed, but, uh, I really feel like parents should be the one to see. They're the ones that have sacrificed all this time. Um, but I, you know, I understand that without anybody to tell a story, then high school sports don't get followed as much, which is one of the reasons why we're having a podcast is because <laughs> high school sports don't get followed enough and all the good things that happen. So the, uh, 
and I think what was, and I don't know how many years ago it was that uh, there was a heavy rain during the week of state baseball, and they ended up having to to farm some of those those uh, games out. And I think Southeast Polk ended up being one of the places. So it only makes sense that they would be up again, you know, if, if that's the case. So um, we, we'll hopefully have some more updates. You know, they're and maybe all sheriff, some, aren't they? Uh, I think they are. I think well, you, at least the infield, and I and I think the same thing with infield. Uh, yeah, and the same thing with Johnson. I think Johnson is a is a turf field now too, um, but but hopefully here in the next week, you know, whenever we get ready to do our next podcast, that we'll have we'll have some more information and some more updates as far as what what's going on with uh, with high school sports. But um, the the one thing for sure is is that not only do we have the the rest of the state watching baseball and softball as far as what they're doing, you know, what works, what doesn't work, and how how this this uh, test goes to get us back to to normal, um, but we also have the nation watching. You know, what what are we doing for high school sports, and how does it work out? Because we are we're the only one doing it. So um, yeah. there's a there's a big spotlight on us. Well, and you and I talked before. I I get nervous that one student or one coach gets quarantined. That team then is they're out. Does that kid get sick? Does he get hospitalized? Um, is there an insurance issue with some kid? You know, it, uh, I, I struggle a little bit saying let's use softball and baseball as the guinea pig to make sure we can get everything going in the in the fall. Uh, I certainly want high school sports to occur, but I I just don't know if we're there yet. I guess this will help decide whether or not we are. Yeah, yeah, and and as things open up, you know, across the nation, we're we're starting to see. Um, some people that are throwing caution to the wind as far as what they're choosing to do uh, and, and having at it. So we'll, we'll see how all that works out. But uh, again, huge spotlight on the state of Iowa because of the return to high school athletics and, and people are going to take note to what it is that we're doing and how well it goes. Well, you, uh, you said some people suggested that um, we need to pull in a guest every now and then. Maybe we need to call up Mr. Weedman and put him on the hot seat. Yeah, we could. We we could uh, we could see what's going on with him. See what see what he's planning. He's a pretty meticulous planner, so I'm I'm sure he's reading through those guidelines. It would be interesting to see what he has to say. Or he could say, "No, I do not want to talk to you two at all." <laughs> There's probably a greater chance of that being his uh, um, his reaction than than him coming on and having a conversation with us. Yeah, maybe we can just have him write a letter to us. Or, yeah, that might work. Of course, he'd have to listen to us first, and I don't know if he's listening to us. Um, that might help. Maybe Chad, if you're listening, um, let us know if you're willing to come on. Maybe, we'll, maybe you'll be our, our first guest so that we can talk about what, uh, what steps you're taking to get baseball, Norwalk baseball, ready to roll for, uh, for the summer. So as we transition here, uh, we are now to the uh, the the – the meat and taters of our, of our uh, podcast, which is we're going to talk about success. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory as to why success. Um, we're to is, the Papa burger. We're to the Papa burger of our success. Yes. There you go. This is the Papa burger piece of, uh, of the podcast. So for me, uh, success is one of those things that, that I think it, it bothers me um, because we, we, we want to say it's almost similar to you saying last week that I was talking out of both sides of my mouth when I was saying that that you can't really work on um, culture, but yet 
we think we are working on culture. Um, you, you're anyway. So yeah. it's that thing where we say that wins and losses are are not a measure of success, our true measure and the only measure of success. Yet, um, I don't know a time, especially when you're talking from a coach's standpoint or perspective, where you aren't judged and measured by how many wins and how many losses you have. Um, and, and so that's kind of where this comes from is, you know, the when we talk success, what does it mean? What does success mean? What is success? What do you got for an answer? What is success? Well, you and I have talked about these things a lot. I mean, one, I um, wins and losses are going to be part of success. They're just always going to be part of success because you're going to have media, uh, people in the public, where that's their biggest thing. They love to, you know, Dowling's had great success. There's no doubt about it in football. It's you know they they keep winning state championships. Um, and so they're seen as a successful program, not just here in the state, but across the, the Midwest and maybe the country. I don't know. Uh, where I think things get lost is if, if we go back to where we have Bixler and Peterson. 2008. Murillo. And that team makes the 32, round of 32 playoffs and goes down and plays a really, really good game at Mount Pleasant, where I don't think many people thought we had any chance. Long travel, you know, we we kind of squeaked ourselves in. Um, and if you know, Dermody doesn't have his back issue, and we make a couple other plays, that that's going to go down to a fourth quarter. Or we run dive option more often. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but I already told you that long ago. Um, <laughs> but I I I felt that was one of the more successful efforts we had um, because one we had to overcome some culture things or some predisposed you know when I came to Norwalk the first thing I heard in the teachers um, teachers lunchroom because I was talking about going to play Boone and this or this I had teachers tell me you will never be able to beat Boone it just can't happen you guys will never be good enough to beat Boone and that's when I was under coach Meyer and I'm just sitting there having come from being coached by you know, Coach Williams, he never really talked about winning or losing or anything like that. He just talked about, you got to go out and play hard. And that's a mentality we had to grow. Uh, then we do start to be, beat people like Boone. Um, I, so are we successful because we've moved ourselves up? You know, um, I have the, I got to coach soccer for a long time and there is one team that we had that had more talent. Kyle Cummings graduates early, and we still have more talent than everybody in the state at our level, except maybe one team. Well, that team didn't make it outside of the state. That doesn't feel like a successful year to me, not because of the wins and losses, just because we knew we were really talented. So I'm not trying to bird walk around. That's a Dale Barnhill reference. But I'm trying to, you know, there's, there's wins and losses. There's... We know we're really talented. Um, hey, we're not so talented, but we've done really well. Uh, and so internally, I think we look at this was a real, real good season for us because these kids and how they've grown. That's that's always my thing. You know, now that we've become a bigger school, I think the onus is always on us to be a perennial power because we're always big. 
um, still comes back to you know how far we can move the kids from point A to point B, and if we if we move them along and they believe in our process and everything that we're doing team wise, and they act that way in public because of all the things we try to talk to them about, you know, what's the warrior way and things like that, then, then I think that's successful. It's just sometimes easier to say that, that when you've coached for 27 years versus when you're in your first year, one, two, and three, and people don't think you can do anything. I think that's, that, that is, that's one of the things that we've got to, and we're going to talk about that here coming up is, is um, points in your career. You know, and, and for me, I, I think success is, you know, do, do you take a group of kids and do you help them um, reach and exceed potential? And, and I think that that would be as simple as you can get when it comes to success. And, and sometimes it, it ends up being a lot of wins and sometimes it doesn't end up being very many wins, but, but you squeezed everything you could out of that group. Um, and, and it is hard, you know, and, and who's judging you? You know, and you, you're the one that talked about, it, you know, the media and the parents and, and you know, the different stakeholders that are in there. And, and I think that also makes a difference for, um, you know, what, what people say and what people focus on when it comes to what success is. Um, you know, and for me, and this is where, where things get, this is where I struggle is, is, you know, we, when, we, when we talk, even our very own Hall of Fame, you know, when you talk about a coach's Hall of Fame, what coaches are in the Hall of Fame? It isn't longevity, although longevity is a piece. And, and it isn't whether or not, as Lee Nelson put it, it if, if Tom Scallon is going to make the Hall of Fame someday, it isn't because he had one heck of a oh man. You wouldn't believe the practice planning that Tom Scallon had. I mean, you should you, well, you go in and look at his practice plans. They're just meticulous with, with detail and everything. You're not getting in because you, you are a good practice planner. You're getting in because you want. Um, and I think that, that to me is the one that, that is, is, I just have a tough time with that. You know, you have to win if you want to be remembered um, outside of your own community and even sometimes in your own community um, for being a, a good coach. Well, I think longevity is kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Uh, if you're around a long time, you must have won some games and Therefore, since you've won games, you've got a chance to, you know, if you accumulate whatever it is, 150 wins, I don't know what that bottom level kind of is, which tells you how much I pay attention to the Hall of Fame. That's bad. Um, but if you're around long enough and you accumulate that many wins, you must have been successful wins and losses wise during your time. You know, I, I think sometimes um, when you think of different coaches where, you know, Appleton, Parkersburg, where those players go into the NFL. Well, those are very talented individuals. And Appleton, you know, that's just by the grace of God that those guys end up there. Uh, yes, you know, uh, they learn to work hard and everything else like that. But they speak so highly of Coach Thomas. So there's a lot of culture things there. And I think he would say, if he was able to speak now, that that's success. Not that those guys won championships or they got to go to the NFL after playing in college, but that how they've carried themselves during that time. And you know, us, uh, I think Jared DeRees and, um, better than I do, but that would be my guess if we asked a question about what's successful about his time with Coach Thomas and Applington. Well, and, and so, 
you know, that I don't think how long do you stay in coaching if you can't win? You know, and, and nowadays, I don't think you stay in coaching very long if you can't win. And sometimes nowadays, you, you don't even stay in coaching if you can win. You know, there, there's just a, a coaching is, is that one profession that no matter what you do, there's always pressure on you and not like win to win and loss pressure, but, but what are you doing with your kids and how are you helping them grow and things like that. And so that there's a, there's a lot of factors in whether or not you stay in the coaching and wins and losses is definitely a, a piece of it. Um, now, here's the one thing that, that I think is interesting is, is that so when you talk um, players um, and their success and, and whether or not a player gets into the NFL or into the NFL, into the hall of fame, um, you're now talking about, success in different areas you're, you're talking statistical success um in, in it could be two or three different areas and, and you're talking across the board they don't necessarily have to win they don't have to be on a winner um they don't have to be on a championship team in order to get into the nfl hall of fame or nba or or major league they just have to be really good at their craft and i think that's an interesting dynamic between coaches and players uh, when it comes to that well, yeah, if you start talking professional, you can see that right now. You know, Jamal Adams, since I'm a Cowboy fan, I'll talk about this. Jamal Adams keeps popping up as a possible Dallas Cowboy trade because he feels like he's outperformed his contract. He doesn't want to wait another year. He wants a long-term extension now. Um, the labor side of me says I understand why professional athletes like that would want to, um, if I've been successful statistically, I want my contract now because I've probably got, if I'm in the pros five to seven years, I've had a heck of a career usually. I mean, it's really hard to stay in the pros forever. Um, the other side of me is, you know, you should honor a contract and try to help make your team better. But statistically, he's done well. So now he wants a trade. He wants out. Um, you see that in the pros a lot. College, I, you know, I still think there's that large team moment and as much as, well, behind the scenes, there's probably a whole lot more, you know, wanting their carries or wanting their touches and things like that. I think that the best coaches have created culture where each one of them believe if they do what they're supposed to do, they'll be successful. And for big programs in Power Five, some of that's getting to the pros. Um, high school, I think it's more sometimes parents pushing. My kids need more tackles, more touches for that individual success. Uh, it's just really hard overall for our society to truly believe in team-oriented success all the time because they feel like um, more individual notoriety will provide them greater opportunity when it's not uh, based on the recruiting stuff and everything we've seen. I don't think that's so. You look at the Davis brothers from Iowa State. You know, it, I don't know if they both are in the uh, Hall of Fame. The, the College Football Hall of Fame, but I think one of them is, uh, and I'm not 100% sure on that, and that, that they weren't very good team-wise, but man, did he have a couple of really good years, all of them, I mean, both of them had some really good years in there as far as rushing, um, and, and, you know, if you want to go down to the high school, you know, you're looking at, um, like, Norwalk, why, why are certain people in the Hall of Fame versus others people not, not in the Hall of Fame? Well, because they got nominated, Randy Brown, um, we'll bring that up again. Coach Schmitz, uh, I don't know if you filled out that, that uh, application for Randy Brown to get into the Norwalk Athletic Hall of Fame, but 
here's another push for that. You know, you have to get nominated in order to get in. It's not you're just just because you were good doesn't mean um, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. You you have to have somebody that nominates you. So there's also a little piece of that too. Um, well, yeah. So the the criteria by which you get in. You know, once again, I'm, I'll rear my fandom here, but Drew Pearson is the only person on the All Decade team that has not made the Hall of Fame in professional football. And that, that seems pretty crazy to me. Now, of course, I'm saying that with bias, but uh, how can he be on the all-decade team and not be Hall of Fame ready? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Don't know. Um, can we measure success um, based on where you're at in your career? Well, that's that long pause because I'm thinking, um, based on where you're at in your career, uh, I think different people have different expectations. When I took over as Norwalk head football, we'd had some, you know, what were we? One and eight, two and seven. Oh and nine. Oh and nine? Yep. Three wins in three years. Yep. And then I took over. 95, we 96, one, 97. Yeah. And I took over and we were one and eight again. And Beat Perry. Uh, excuse me? We beat Perry at home, 1998. Yeah. Personally, I'm kind of beat down, and I think I had ear infections and <laughs> posture. Remember you talking about that, that pain growing up the backside of your neck? Yeah. Into your head? Because I was measuring success certainly by wins and losses. Um, I was kind of a young coach, and so I felt like they took a shot on me, and it's, you know, I'm not paying off. And then I had the superintendent come up to me. Um, and principals, and they're like, hey, you, you put a better product on the field. Um, that's no dig at our former coach. I had more talent overall than he did in the couple, you know, the years that I did it before you took over. Um, so, you know, record-wise, there's no difference of success, but people around the community felt like there was more success because the players were more energized about the program. The players were doing more off-season things, and then we slowly grew and got a little better. So um, in that way, I'd say yes, that a one and eight for a coach that's been around a long time, that's had a chance to establish their culture versus a one and eight of somebody coming in and trying to change culture, they will probably have different expectations placed on them. But now if I would have pulled one and eight, one and eight, one and eight, well, I'm not young anymore. I'm three years in, pretty soon people are gonna say, well, maybe this individual can't get it done. Well, that's I I, I think yes to to the um, where you're at in your career, you know, and where you at with that school. You know, are you the first year guy? Are you the guy replacing the legend? You know, are you are you the guy that that has been there 15 years and and you've been up and down the whole time? Are are you, have you been the guy that's been there and you've won? You know, Tom Wilson, seven state championships now at, in a row at, at Dowling. You know, where, where are you, um, not only with your school and your career, but, but um, inside of, of your own world, you know, as far as that, that success and the wins and losses go. And I think, yes, where you're at in your career has a direct impact and a direct correlation to how things go for you um, and how you're viewed. Um, yeah, well, look at... Uh, so I won't be a fan. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, 
Coach Tomlin might have done his best coaching job of the year last year, lost his franchise Hall of Fame quarterback, um, lost the backup, lost, I think, the backup to the backup, and they were playing for a shot to go to the playoffs at the end of the year. No longer, Le'Veon Bell's a couple years removed. Um, they drafted well with James Conner. Uh, so here you have a team that's almost on the cusp of making the NFL playoffs after so many things going on, you know, they'd be crazy to let him go. And, and I think that's because he's established himself as a coach, you know, that the, the Rooney owners are look at that and say, okay, look at the job he's done. That was a successful year because of all of the injuries, you know, in pro football injuries end your season. Right. What other factors um, do we measure success? You got, you got well, your point in career, your point in uh, um, where you're at as far as that school. You know, is it your first year? Is it your fifth year? Is it your 25th year? Um, you know, we, you're talking like the Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, what are the things that happen during the season that, that put you in a position to, to be in, in, uh, in the playoff hunt? You know, what, what things, uh, what other factors are we looking at when we talk success? Well, I think those are some of them. How many obstacles can you overcome and, and still be competitive and have a shot at, you know, going into the playoffs? Uh, can you keep your team together when those obstacles come up and not have everything go south? Because sometimes high school kids, if things go south, they're, they're getting ready for their next sport. You know, they're on to basketball, they're on to wrestling, and um, it's our job to keep them interested in what they're doing. So I, I think that's one way we measure for success. I, I think sometimes it's how well you do against the best. You and I have talked before about, okay, we've over a span, we've been lucky and won this many games. Um, and how many games have we won against people with similar records, better records, less records. And I'm not going into wins and losses matter, but I'm going into um, more of that two teams that are equal. Do we come out on top or not? And then I think another factor is when you're not equal and you're, and you're in the ball game, you know, how many, how many ways can you, uh, how many times can you find an upset somewhere in your resume? The, uh, I, I think one of the other things, and, and this is where we were, you know, back in 2006 and seven um, is what does your program look like? You know, and, and even the, you know, we, we can start talking the culture thing. You, you can win um, all kinds of games, but if, but if you've got kids who are skipping class and, and not doing well and, and causing problems and, um, you know, you, you've got other factors that are, that are not good and not shining well on your program, um, you can be not successful, you know, in, in the well, world of, of high school athletics. I agree. I mean, I... <clears throat> So uh, John Stageman, John Strawn, Mike Knapp, those guys' senior year, uh, we lost to a team three to two in double overtime in soccer to go to state, would have been our first state appearance. The team that we lost to um, either won state the year before and then lost or lost and then won. And I had some real criticisms on how their kids carried themselves on, on the field. And I don't, you know, I don't fault the kids, uh, but I, that's a coach's responsibility to take care of some of the, you know, things. Not not just being confident, but they were arrogant and rude and things like that. That's my opinion, and people may disagree with that. People may say that about 
uh, our kids at that time. Um, that's the lowest point and one of the lowest points in my career, losing that game, not because of the loss, but because I think we did everything possible and weren't able to overcome somebody else who I felt while their wins and losses successful, their kids aren't being taught the, the, the right way to play or the right way to be a, a good person. Yeah, and I think, I think those factors have to be taken into consideration when you, uh, when you think about success. So as we wrap this up, what advice would you give uh, a young coach in regards to success? Well, one, um, now I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Uh, don't yes. chase it. <laughs> Love it. Don't chase it, but that's really hard to do when you're young because you, uh, you see a number and you let that be your grade, and that shouldn't be your grade. Um, I, I think success comes with trying to put in practices and procedures that make young men better for life. I think it's really hard when you're young to be grounded in those things. And that's why a lot of times, you know, you, you get your head coach job when you're older because you've been around, you've seen it, and you've had, and you've had a lot of mentors. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I do for success too. Uh, blanket out the noise, get rid of it. Don't worry about what the media says. Don't worry about, I think it's more, um, when I was head football coach, it was the people around that knew about football that would come up and say, hey, things are looking better. People that you trust, people that you respect. Because then they're telling you, you're, you're doing the right thing, you're moving this along, and that's good. Um, and um, finally, I would say, you can, you can usually look at your program and tell by the numbers of players that are out uh, as to what the players think about that coach. I think the, uh, um, the, so the one thing that you talked about was, you know, blanket out or block out the, uh, the, the media and all that. I, I think the one thing that we've got to remember is, is that even in this day and age where, where social media um, has a bigger presence, you know, in, in high school athletics, there's still not a lot of coverage like there used to be as far as high school athletics. So you, you, you don't have to worry as much about, you know, seven articles about your, your football program or your basketball program or whatever in the paper anymore because it isn't happening. So yeah. there's a little That's bit true. of that. I used to get, I used to get phone calls all weekend, long, all weekend long about football, Norwalk football and the game before and this or that. So you'd get the local paper, you'd get somebody from the register after a couple of years, the first year they didn't really talk to us, but you might get, <laughs> you might get somebody from Oskaloosa, somebody from Grinnell, somebody from right. whatever Pella station, like KRNL, all trying to talk to you. And, you know, that, um, that can really weigh on you when they start asking you certain questions. Even in soccer, the, we would get all sorts of calls from different places of, of you know, just different questions that you just have to kind of, you want to be a good interview, but you, and not just say all oh, the coach speak, but you also don't want to say something that, um, you didn't mean to be insulting when you're trying to be enlightening. Right. Uh, you don't want bullet, bulletin board material, but it, it, it is, it's interesting, you know, as far as the decline in high school sports coverage. And, and so you don't quite have that. So my, my, from my side, I would say the, the first place you want to go and, and 
you know, have a plan when it comes to successes, you wanna make sure that your administration and you are on the same page. I think that's the very first place to start because there isn't anybody, if you have a strong administration, it isn't gonna matter what anybody in the world, no matter what anybody else says, as long as you are on the same page with them, that they will have the final say as, as to what's going on. Um, so I think that's important. I think one of the other things that, that is key is, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, you know, with the Jim Collins reference as far as you got to have the right people on the bus, but you got to make sure that you have a, a coaching staff that's with you and, and in for the long haul, you know, and, and here at Norwalk, we've both been very fortunate to have, you know, you think about the, the longevity that we've got in our staff and that makes a huge difference um, as far as sticking to things. And then for me, the, the final piece, you know, outside of all the things that you talked about, um, I, I think the one thing that you also need to make sure you have is, is you've got people inside, you know, your coaching world that you can rely on and have, you know, your mentors and, and people that you can confide in and, and have a conversation with and you can call whenever you're having an issue. Um, and, and that advice may not be perfect for your situation, but at least it's another, another piece and another um, point that you can take and, and hopefully run with and, and maybe make a difference for you too. So you got to rely on some of those people, you know, inside your world. Um, you know, and that world, as you get older, grows. Uh, it, 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 you know, you continue to, to add people to that list of people you can call and talk to and things like that. So anything final for, uh, for the topic of um, success? Nope. I wish everybody success. <laughs> However you measure it, right? All right. So yeah. um, each week we, we talk a little history, you know, and, and obviously right now it's especially centered around um, Norwalk. And so this time I uh, thought I'd bring up girls basketball. And I think, um, you know, if, if you talk girls basketball and, and you've been around long enough in Norwalk, the first person you think of is Jim Kane. You know, he, he was the, he was the face of, of, Norwalk girls basketball for years and years. Um, and then of course it went to Brent Walker and, and then Steve Wormerskirken and now Jill Martin. And I think that is, uh, you know, we, however many years that is, there's, there's only been four head coaches um, for the girls basketball program. And that's, and that is uh, uh, remarkable, you know, especially for the, the longevity that those people had. Um, and I'm talking Jim and Brent and Steve and now Jill. Um, yeah, I, I think there was a coach before Jim Kane, but I don't know that person's name. I, well, I'm sure there probably was, but I don't know. So you're talking uh, 80. You're talking 80 until now for the last 40 years, 39 years. Right, and and even when 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 did Jim start? Sometime in the 70s, right? That's true. Yep. I mean, he may maybe even been late 60s. We'd I mean, have he, to go to the yearbook and look it up. He's been around a long time. We can't get into the school. Um, facilities are closed, everybody. So if you talk Norwalk girls basketball, 1980, they won. The small class, which put them, um, if you look back at the at the the uh, girls' union and the records, it would put them in the semifinals, and they won that, and then they were in the championship, which was the all-class championship, and they lost that to Ankeny. Last second come, shot. Come back in 1981, win the small class again. So again, in the in the semifinals, and then they win the overall championship, I do believe, against Ankeny again, uh, played Ankeny again, and this time beat them uh, in 1981. Then it was a long stretch, you know, from 1981 until 1999, 
before they made it back to the state tournament. And in 1999, obviously, would have been Brent Walker. Um, and I think Sarah Hildebrand would have been on that team. Um, a Mar Steller. Um, yep. And that group. And then in 2000, they made the state tournament again. Same. Uh, Marsteller, or sorry, Marsteller and and uh, Hildebrand would have been gone, but but you would have had Hu Shaw and um, Surmac um, would have had a young Jill Martin, I do believe. Um, I think so. In that one, and then they go back to the state tournament in 2003, which I think was um, Jill's senior year. So it would have been Gearstorf and Morrissey and and uh, um, boy, now I'm drawing blank. Uh, Brittany Pritchard. Yeah. Right? Uh, would she have been in 03? Would she have been with them? She's with, that's when we could have started a six foot lineup, isn't it? Wasn't okay. it Cermak and her? And... Reed, Nikki Reed. Uh, and then, yeah. then they go on their little run where they go five, six, and seven that they're there. And of course, in 2006, they beat Ballard uh, for their second state championship um, in girls basketball. And you know, I don't know if how many people were around that are listening, but but we played Ballard in the regular season. Um, I, I remember distinctly remember sitting on the uh, aisle. I, I sat on the steps down below where the student section is now. That's where I sat uh, during that game because it was so full um, and didn't have a place to sit. And we lose that game, and it's at home. Yeah, I was in the. I was in the doorway where all of the uh, coaches and coaches' kids kind of sit, trying to keep people back. And the only thing I can remember, well, I remember a lot about that game, but the biggest thing I remember is the guy that had huge overalls that was behind the bench yelling yep. at Coach Walker the whole game. Yep, and he kept running up and down the steps. Just yep. obnoxious, uh, a human being. So then, you know, we make the run through the state tournament and we end up with them in the finals. And we're down. And Noel goes off from three and starts lighting it up and brings us back, and we beat them by like eight or something like that. Um, pretty good run. And then they make it the state tournament again in 2007. So, uh, Norwalk girls basketball, you know, a, a brief little history of, of what took place there. I'm not sure who we're going to talk about next week, you know, as far as or our next episode, which history, but, but I thought girls basketball would be good, you know, and a little tribute to, uh, to especially Coach Kane and Coach Walker. You know, two guys that were a part of that program for many, many, many years. And then, um, you know, Steve Wormerskirken was with Brent Walker for many years, you know, as an assistant. And then obviously Jill played um, and now has come back into a run the program. And so um, pretty remarkable, you know, as far as that goes, too. So it's kind of where we're at. Um, next up is a positive thing going on. And, and I'm going to turn that over to you because I think it's time for us to talk about Deanna and food serves. So every Monday uh, during quarantine, Deanna Sirius, our director of food and nutrition, and with some help from other members of the department, there are some staff workers there that are helping out. Um, uh, and uh, Ro Molina is also helping, the uh, culinary arts teacher at the high school. They're packaging 200 or more bags of food which contain uh, five breakfasts and five lunches. So it's really a thousand meals. And at two sites, they're handing out food to, you know, anybody that rolls in and 
you just give a number and say, we've got this many kids, no questions asked, and we hand that over. Uh, it's just been a great thing. Um, Deanna is really, really positive, and so is Roe, and you know, they work hard to get it all set up. Many members of the administration and some teachers have been out to help, you know, distribute the food and things like that. Uh, it's just, it's a great thing being done. She's hoping to do it all the way through July, but uh, has to get approved by the government. So hopefully she'll be able to continue because it's really been a help uh, as long as people need it. I think she wants to do it. And it's just been real impressive the work she's done. I think one of the things that, that you know some of us take for granted is is that um, when when school's going on, you know, kids are are have the opportunity to have a breakfast and a lunch, and when you take school away, you know, five days a week, and you take school away, um, that puts a little extra burden on on families where where they have to try and come up with those ten meals um, during the week, you know, and, and and it does make a difference, especially if if things aren't going well, you know, from the way that things are going in the economy and and whether or not they have a job and, and you know, what kind of profession they're in. And so um, her help with that and, and any help that we can give, you know, from a community to, to our kids and families is, is huge. And so I thought it was time for us to shine a little spotlight on her and, and the work that she's done. She always tries to have a little surprise. Um, one time, Mrs. Anderson was dressed up as a minion, greeting everybody. I don't know how she talked talk Jill into doing that, but she did. Maybe Jill wanted to do it. You know how Jill is a little crazy like that. And um, Tuesday is gonna be ice cream. So if you like your ice cream, roll in and you'll get an ice cream bar. Well, there's no doubt I love ice cream. Um, I mean, they're just, we, we talked about it at the beginning. You know, most everything for me is centered around how am I going to eat? Um, and so ice cream is, is up there for me. Um, you got anything final to close out? Nope. Need to, we need to recap. We need to find out if, if uh, decide whether or not Chad Weedman is our guest and will he come on? I think we'll have to pursue him fairly heavily. And uh, then people might need to let us know. I think our next podcast confessional will be getting the names of the girls wrong over the years. I hope none of them are insulted that if we got them in the wrong wrong class well we'll find out i'm sure somebody's gonna let us know um so just just a a couple of things to recap number one um the, the reason for rock said is you know we're talking about success um i want to thank all of our listeners and i especially want to thank those that that have reached out and given some suggestions and thoughts and feedback um it, it is welcomed you know unless you're going to tell us that we're absolutely awful and we should stop um, doing what we're doing um, feedback is, is and, and suggestions are welcomed and, and we'll, we'll do our best to try and um, make things like that happen and, and, and keep improving. Um, but I also want to make sure that I, I give a special thanks to, uh, to Jake Brown for the original intro and then, of course, Bailey Bishop for the original artwork. You know, I, I think that's awesome. And, and if you get a chance, give us a rating um, and, and hopefully we'll continue to move forward. And, and uh, we appreciate you listening. And so episode three. Uh, rock set dress for success uh, episode from talk in the walk is uh, now in the books thanks for listening thank you